Yeah, I'm all right with that. Mm-hmm. Help is not on the way. No. Definitely not. <laughs> For any of us. No, no, we're all, we're all on our own. As we were just discussing. Especially in America, the drinking water, if you want your heat to work in a snowstorm, you're on your own, buddy. So, um, it's been a while. It's been and, too long. Um, We've had a lot of things that we've talked about, and uh, I kind of ran a bunch through my mind. I kept changing my mind, and I finally settled on something that just popped up in my uh, kind of purview within the last week or two. How about you? It's topical because I remember you kind of mentioned what we're going to talk about on your side of things today with Help is on the Way, and... um and uh, and it's topical because of course we we just we're coming out of ski season right now. Right. It's been on our minds. We talked a lot about ski season in our other podcast and uh, and skiing and spend a lot of time staring at skiing and thinking about skiing, which is a bit and and not doing our podcast because of skiing and not doing our podcast <laughs> because of skiing. Yeah, so there you go. So this is like the alternative. We actually talk about skiing or a skiing related person right. as our as our season crumbles before our eyes we can talk about skiing and, and this is about a skier a, a skier who who um you know um falls from from kind of like the pinnacle of his career uh and it's going to be pretty interesting what what do you have today oh mine oh my uh-huh. goodness so we're going to go in uh, like the mo- possibly the most opposite directions we've ever gone in oh that's cool the variety here is just it is is it's something for everybody in, in this episode. So, so uh, how are we going to start? I mean, do we want to start with, I mean, yours is like hundreds of years in the past, Mine right? is 1534 and 1535 in Germany. Right. Yours is America, so and it, 90s, 2000s. And it's still happening. Still happening. Yeah. I like yours. I think, you know, I, you, I, I want to kind of hear yours because okay. I haven't, if it's okay with you. Mm-hmm. Because I've I ha, I've not brushed up on it and I, you t- you've, you've told me a little bit about it. I'm really fascinated with okay. what's going on with this. Well, let's start with it then. This is a, a, about a, a skier well known in the in the big mountain uh, skiing uh, world, um, ski movies. Yeah. Um, Hella skiing in Alaska. Yeah. He's he was well known in all those. What 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 years was he? Uh... He uh, his name. I'll start with that. By the way, is Dean Cummings. Dean and Cummings. Dean Cummings. Uh, was um, originally from New Mexico, uh-huh. uh, Albuquerque, but he he became a skier. His dad had been a ski instructor uh, previously to working uh, down at in Los Alamos as mm. an engineer. Um, but uh, but he taught his kids to ski, and his, his and Dean. Um, became a skier he ended up making the u.s freestyle team mm-hmm. he was oh. a, a mogul skier yeah successful he, he had uh, some podiums did pretty well um but he kind of transitioned into big mountain skiing which was just um uh just kind of coming onto the scene uh, this is at what, the time. about when this late 80s okay and uh, the first the inaugural inaugural um world extreme ski championships uh-huh. took place in valdez alaska in 1991 oh, wow. and he entered and he got second place to um another well-known uh skier doug coombs yeah i've heard doug coombs, and yeah. they both you know were graced on many many magazine pages and covers i'm sure mm-hmm. i remember both both names um from then, I mean, the late '80s would have been, for me, the end of high school. In 1991, I was in college, and uh, living in Crested Butte, probably, or maybe I was not anymore. But anyway, I was big into skiing then, and I remember the name, and I remember, you know, seeing uh, these guys um, in movies. They, uh, uh, Dean was in some, as you may remember, some of these. They were like the later Greg Stump movies. Okay, yeah. P Tech Lies and Duct Tape. And <laughs> All those videos. So, yeah. Names. Um, no, no, before you go on, uh, can I ask a couple of things? Like, so, for anyone who's not big into skiing, so, because this isn't really actually a, um, a podcast about, it's about a skier, but not about skiing. Um, mm-hmm. But let's just let us know what, just for the sake of, of anyone who's not aware, 
80s freestyle skiing, you're talking about moguls, you're talking about sort of like spread eagles and yeah, aerials. Maybe they're maybe people are doing yeah, 360s and yeah. the moguls, you yeah. know, stuff like that. But then you transition to big mountain skiing, and what would you, how would you sort of like explain big mountain skiing? Yeah, that that became kind of like um, picking. It was a little bit supposed to be a little bit more creative. You know, mm-hmm. you you got to kind of pick a line in an area on the mountain and get down any way you wanted looking the best basically yeah doing the most daring line these are like untracked maybe helicopter drops and yeah. things like that stuff big that, air yeah big yeah. cliff drops yeah. things like that so setting the setting the stage for what was to come which now is just some insane insane right. yeah and they still have the free free ride world tour they don't call it extreme skiing anymore right 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 <laughs> extreme the word extreme went out with the 90s it, i think it went out with 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 neon colors that's right with slashes, the neon colors of the time graphics and, so, and people may remember i mean you know if anybody's somewhat familiar with skiing they might remember people like glenn plake and scott schmidt and this is kind of like i do the the next generation really i think was these guys uh-huh. after glenn plake and scott schmidt and all of the greg stump and Warren yeah. miller movies and he uh dean cummings was also in some Warren miller movies okay he was in a bunch of movies by match matchstick productions uh-huh, uh-huh. i saw so um and uh, he he ended up um, kind of uh, overlapping with his big mountain ski, um, you know, competition and um, fame. He started a heliski company okay. called H2O, which eventually became the biggest in Alaska after um, Doug Coombs, who hmm. also had started a heliski company in Alaska, sold his company and kind of got out of the business. And Dean Cummings managed to get the, it's like a 200,000 acre permit from the forest service. So he got the biggest and best terrain in Alaska. And, um, he, he kind of defended it, um, you know, very, very aggressively. And so he kind of made a lot of enemies, Uh but what the story is really about is this is kind of like, this is the pinnacle of his career yeah. is, you know, winning the world extreme, uh, championships, which he won in 19, he placed second in the first one in 1991. He subsequently won it in 1995. Mm-hmm. He started his, uh, ski operation around that same time. Yeah. Um, and he was known to be meticulous with his safety. Um, he was a little bit different in how he read the, the snow and the terrain from, uh, you know, some, Kind of like the textbook way was, you know, dig snow pits and, you know, check the layers and um, look at the, you know, the quality of, of the snow and the and the layers and whatnot. And he kind of would, you know, read. He knew what the snowfall had been. He knew what the wind had been. He knew what the terrain was. And his was a little bit more like go by the more data, more instinct and data. A yeah, bit more, more yeah. exactly, and less less of the digging and and looking at it on the ground. Right. But he was uh, he he also set up uh, training programs to train people to be guides. So he was he was really well known, really really well regarded. People had a, a, a huge amount of respect for him. Um, but where this uh, story goes uh, gets very very dark. Yeah. Um, and he he had started um, uh, back in New Mexico. As a kid, in school, he was he was a super talented athlete. He was played hockey, played baseball. He did really, really well in those things. Mm. But as as a student, not so good. Yeah, right. He yeah. he had dyslexia. Mm-hmm. He um, a, a good friend of his said that he got in a fight every single week. Oh wow! And of the hundreds of fights he saw Dean Cummings get in, never once did he see him lose. So he was wow. he was a tough kid. Yeah, he was an aggressive kid, um, and as he moved into freestyle skiing, he, like many of the freestyle skiers of that era, he was, um, you know, he didn't have a coach. He was sleeping in parking lots, sleeping in his car, um, traveling around under his own, uh, you know, uh, own funding. Um, and uh, the the thing is, is there were some signs back then of what was to come. Yeah. You know, this kind of aggressive behavior yeah. and the fighting, he yeah. was very, very... Um, uh, he was a little bit paranoid, uh-huh. you know, people, uh, and I think some of it was p- 
possibly justified at the time. People were kind of laughing at him and giving him a hard time. He'd heard heard some teachers, you know, make kind of make fun of him behind his back for hmm. his dyslexia or his oh, yeah. his performance in school. Um, but as he got older, the paranoia became a little more, you know, a little bit bigger. More a little actual bit, paranoia. Yeah, a little, yeah. Less, less, less behind the paranoia and more just kind of um, conspiracy theories. But because of his abilities, because of his, um, you know, big, ad- a big attitude, his big um, personality, people kind of ignored it. It kind of makes sense. I mean, because, you know, you're talking about a guy who's successful, a guy who's been successful, who's made his own way, who is obviously a pretty large personality, pretty aggressive, aggressive in his, you know, in his, his business dealings and his you know, his probably just in general life, he probably commanded quite a presence. Not the kind of person that you typically step up to and say, Hey, I think you might want to start thinking about some of what you're, what you're dealing with here. It might not, it's not jiving. You know, it's the kind of person that almost in some ways, not, not to fault him for it, but his personality might have made himself a little bit unapproachable with those sorts of questions. And yeah, for sure. And he, you know, because if you are uh, a skier, maybe you want to become a guide, you're right. working for him. I mean, he's he's not just your boss, but he's kind of a hero. Sure. You know, I mean, he's he's at the pinnacle of the sport. Yeah. And, and with everyone he probably came in contact with. He yeah. probably didn't spend time around people that didn't enamor he wasn't that weren't enamored by him in some way. Exactly. And what uh, he did end up getting married. Um he had three children. Uh-huh. Um and his wife Karen, his ex-wife now, um, kind of saw some of the things early on, but she said, you know, that we were, we were young and, uh, it was weird, but she just kind of, I think just kind of brushed it to the side, you know? Um, but, uh, in, in the 20 years or so between, you know, when he started, uh, H2O guides in 1995, um, and this latest chapter, which happens in 2019, uh-huh. he, starts to, um, you know, kind of underneath this paranoia starts to grow. Yeah. But on the surface, he's, he's holding it together. He's running a super successful, uh, heliski company. He's, uh, seems to be a loving, you know, husband and dad. He just loves his kids, but there's things that she mentions, like he didn't have any real friends mm. and he only wanted it to always be the family. Mm-hmm. Wanted to close the doors, close the curtains, and just stay with the family. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know, some people maybe just really like their family, but sure. in hindsight, that's a that's a, a a pretty big, you know, clue as to what was coming. Um, a lot of paranoia going on. A lot on, of paranoia. As yeah. As the years go on, um, things things seem to go pretty well until um, say 2016 or so. So he's got a pretty good run there though. Yeah. Though when you talk to people who had been guides for him or his competitors in the heliski industry, they don't always have such great things to say about him. Mm. He was very, like I said, he was very aggressive. Um, the, the guides instead of, they didn't call their twice daily meetings weren't guide meetings. They were guide beatings. Oh. Is how they described him. Yeah. So it was like not physical beatdowns, but you know that uh, probably a verbal beatdown. You got to imagine this guy is. I mean, there's so much time passes, and obviously he's probably starting to devolve because I know this is. We we you said this is going somewhere. It's gonna it's gonna have take a turn. But um, I mean, you got to imagine every single day of this guy's life, he's fighting constant fear that something is that something he's manufactured in his brain is grown into something insurmountable yeah and on top of that this this industry is it's cutthroat it's super high stress i mean people can die in your in your care yeah it's like if you are not if you don't do the right thing people get buried in an avalanche and die helicopters can crash i mean there's just a lot of things that can go wrong um and so um, the, the, the paranoia grows. He, he starts in 2016, he starts talking about, um, uh, you know, things like he tells his wife, I think it's in 2016 that he, uh, starts hearing, um, voices that are talking to him through the wall and mm. telling 
him that she is doing terrible things with other men. Um, And she was nothing but dedicated to him. Was totally in love. Um, It was late November, uh, in November of 2016 that it really cracked open. Um, She said that it it was like overnight that he woke up and and started talking about this. She, uh, she, tried to get him to go to the hospital. She said, you're scaring me. We need to, we need to get you to the hospital. And he agreed. But every time she made an appointment, he would never show up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he did not want to go. He didn't want medication and he didn't, didn't want to be labeled. He didn't want anybody to find out. But what, what ends up happening is this, this starts to kind of bleed into everything. He starts becoming a little more lax on his, um, safety with, mm-hmm. with the, um, uh, Heliski operation. I'm sure he's uh, distracted now. It's like he's got to be all consuming. It's got to be. And his he the turnover with his guides really ramps up. In fact, everybody quits. Yeah. And he's got he's got some um so he brings in a bunch of people like kind of, they they say off the street, but uh, you know, it's a, it's Alaska. So I'm sure mm-hmm. these are these are people who know how to ski. Right. Probably backcountry skiers, but they're not really trained Heliski guides. Yeah. And he does an intensive week long thing to teach him how to, you know, be guides. So people start seeing what's going on and, um, they, uh, you know, you can kind of see what's, what's happening. She ends up, um, taking off with the kids. She's yeah. from Illinois and she takes the kids and runs because he t- has been telling her things like he's, he's considered shooting himself. Yeah. He's considered driving mm-hmm. off the road with the kids and him in the oh, car. Yeah, yeah. So she decides she's got to get out of there. So she's got to protect herself. But of course, every single thing you're you're saying here um, is is adding stress to his life. Yes. And that's not her fault. She, of course, she should have left. Right. But but you can see that the he's already got a stressful job. He's had to you know he's had to control you know his industry. He's had to protect his company. He's had he's high stress, as you say. All of a sudden, all of his employees quit because he's obviously having problems and taking it out on them. They quit. He's got new stresses. He's also hearing these voices and these things are happening, which are adding a massive amount of stress as well. And of course, he's, you know, mental health in this country is not taken, is is um, frowned upon, mental health care, uh, sort of like mental health issues. So he, he does feel like the man's man guy who can't go and deal with this really frightening thing in a way. And then, and then also the paranoia could be lurking, you know, coming in saying things like, you know, the, you're, you're being, you're, she's trying to take you to the hospital oh, yeah. because she's got other things in mind. And he starts telling, um, at some point he, he, he says that the only reason, uh, they ever met was she was sent to steal his client database. Yeah. And he starts yeah. having conspiracies about nine 11. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, things like that. He, um, w- one of his, he, at some point during this kind of the separation that's going on, she, you know, gets a protective order because she convinces, you know, a judge that he's a danger and the judge agrees. He's ordered to, to do a psychological, psychological exam, but mm-hmm. he doesn't show up uh-huh. he, and nobody ever enforces it. Oh. And this is the kind of thing when, when, when we talk about, you know, help is not on the way and, and how it uh, can be a very broad definition yeah. of how help is not on the way. Yeah. This is kind of that thing, right? I mean, he's obviously, he's obviously sliding yeah. further and further from reality. Right. And there's like, no, and there's nothing in place. I mean, you know, I can imagine his wife just, just sort of trying to dial somebody and get somebody who can tell her what to do and there's no and they're all stay, saying well we really he's he's an adult he right we can't do anything basically and in this this whole time he somehow manages on the surface to to keep himself together enough to keep the the heliski operation running until um 2018 things really start to fall apart at this point i mean he's he and his wife are uh, i believe already divorced uh-huh. she's gone the kids are gone but he somehow manages to keep it together for a bit. And he, now he's by himself and there's nobody there to counterbalance whatever's going on in his head in any way. He's got, you know, um, friends like a child, a friend that's been uh, maybe not a childhood friend, but a friend that has been, uh, a close friend for years is, is afraid of him. Yeah. Um, his former attorney, you know, tells him that if he shows up again, he's going to call the sheriff. Um, 
he's really driving everybody away. Yeah. Uh, in uh, in 2019, he he releases a 20 episode YouTube series called "How a Criminal Syndicate Tried to Destroy a Man's Company and Life." Wow. In uh, shot by an un- unidentified man, um, he lays out uh, his manifesto with um, he uh, you know segments about human trafficking, mm-hmm. uh, climate change. Um, I mean, you can imagine just, this is probably not particularly coherent. Either. Yeah, no, no. Um, but he, uh, he, you know, on there, he, he talks about how everybody says he's quote, psychologically messed up. And he's with all that he's been through, he thinks he's a pretty solid man. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really, um, you know, coming coming undone and it's around this time in uh early 2019 that the forest service pulls his permit and the company just kind of yeah comes to an end um uh, you know they were operating out of a hotel parking lot basically the the operation and one of the one of the guys i I, it's kind of like you know the the guy who runs the operation for the most part is in a camper staying in in the parking lot and he sees sees Dean Cummings come out of the hotel and point something on the ground. He says, "What the is that? What the f is that?" He points at something and and the guy's like, "I don't know. It's like antifreeze or right. coolant or something. You know, it's windshield wiper fluid. I don't know." And he says, "Here, here, put it put it in this bag and I'll put it in the cooler with my samples." Oh wow! And he says that he's having the samples all sent down to Colorado, all down to Denver for for forensic testing along with his hair. Because he believes that people are poisoning him now. Uh-huh. At some point, he believes that um, there is a pipeline straight into his house, pumping poison gas in there. Wow! So, so he, it, is this is this would this be considered paranoid schizophrenia? I think it's what it sounds like, yeah. and I don't know that. I I looked around a lot to see if I could figure out had he has he been you know sort of uh, diagnosed, yeah, yeah, or like a real you know, in-depth diagnosis. I don't really know. Um, after this all happens, though, he, he goes back to to Albuquerque to his parents' house. Um, and they, too, become part of his conspiracy. His brothers and, you know, his siblings. He claims his mother is poisoning the shower water and stealing his sponsor checks. She's 81. Wow. He also thinks that uh, a castle in Scotland has been stolen from the family and they need to get it back. Wow. Because they have a, their last name is Scottish. Yeah. So that must be their castle. So he's really, I mean, and uh, you know, what's, it's shocking that it can go this far. Yes, that's he, what I was thinking. And he has not had help. Yeah, well, it's shocking that it can go this far and he's not had help, absolutely. In addition to that, I mean, just from an, an empathy standpoint, I mean, just consider that everything that you believe is not true. Now, obviously, he's believing some pretty outrageous stuff, but still, I mean, like that could you, you, that could be happening to you right now. You could be Kevin hanging out, um, doing your thing, and you're not. You don't live in this house, and you don't have a kid, and you don't. I mean, right? But but to you, it's so one hundred percent real. Yeah. Like, how could you not be like walking around like making? Yeah. Like yesterday, Kevin like made eggs for somebody who wasn't there. Yeah. Like it's like entirely possible like that's the way this was happening in this person's head and in people's heads that will that that experience this sort of thing which is really really tragic for them i mean terrible. it is and you know one of the the things uh, in this story that is they talk about i think 2019 um it's like the national association for mental mental health or mental illness um says that in 2019, they estimate 13 million Americans would have had a serious mental health crisis. Wow. So that's a pretty big number. That's a really big you know, number. Out of 350 million people, that's like, that's like what, 5% or yeah. something? I mean, yeah. that's huge. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> um, he, uh, he decides at this time he's going to... He's going to check out. He needs he needs to find some land. He's moving out of his parents' house, um, which is probably a relief to them. But he's he's going to buy some property. It's a it's a ranch up in this little town um, in New Mexico, um, and it is um, 
they're not sure exactly how much what the deal was. It's not a real big um not a real big ranch mm. and the guy is asking a lot of money because I think his name is Guillermo Ariola. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. But he's a 47-year-old uh, landscaper from Placidas, a traditional New Mexican town um, with uh, about 5,000 people living there, and uh, including descendants of the original uh, Spanish land grantees and hippies who arrived in the 1960s, mm-hmm. according to this article in Outside Magazine. Um, so he goes to meet this, this uh, Guillermo to, to kind of finalize the deal. And, um, he ends up, uh, according to the police, murdering Guillermo. So, wow. um, he, Do we leaves... know what brought him to that conclusion. Like that he had to, obviously he's so paranoid. Something... He claimed, uh, I read a couple different things. He claims it was self-defense, but he also claimed that Guillermo was trying to poison him. All right. And yeah, Guillermo so... did have a can of mace, right. but, um, I believe Dean was also um, bringing uh, weapons, you know, like guns with him. Yeah. You know, and many times mm-hmm. when he traveled, he he had weapons with him. He um, drove out after doing this, and and he found um, um, a guy riding his motorcycle and said, "Hey, you know, um, I think can you do you have a cell signal?" So I after need, he's killed, yeah. Guillermo, I I need you to call the police because I think uh, you know I killed killed a guy. Back here, we had a little incident or whatever. So the guy calls the police and says, "Okay, let's let's go back and show me where this happened." And uh, he rides his motorcycle, and when he gets there, uh, Dean is gone. Oh, okay, so Dean him. doesn't yeah. doesn't accompany. He tells him where it is, and then yeah. they start off together. But Dean sort of peels Takes off at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he does end up showing up eventually. He is arrested, um, and uh, he is now. At this time, awaiting trial, he he was not he was found not fit for trial, mm-hmm. so they had to, um, you know, do some kind of psychological evaluations. He's eventually found fit for trial, and I, I believe it's 2022 is when uh, the trial will occur. And it's really um, it's crazy when when I I you know kind of went back and I was like, man, how when did this happen? And I can find you know there's. A video called Dean Cummings, The Steep Life, 2016, Holy Grail, Alaska, Hella Skiing. So this is kind of as things are really falling apart. His, yeah. his marriage is falling apart at this point. Um, his, his, his company is almost done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you watch this video and uh, it's like he still looks like, you know, he like can, the guy who could ski anything. And in yeah. fact, this, the lines he skis in this are are insane. I'm going to have to check They're that so out. so insane. Um and, um, you know, just to do, to see somebody that you had watched in ski movies and read about and, yeah. uh, you know, go through that and, uh, turn into that. Um, oh, it's and, so sad. I mean, and it's sad. I mean, also, you know, you know, speaking to the victim too, I mean, this guy, I don't know, I don't know, we don't know much about this guy, but this guy, it just sort of shows you this guy clearly, he's out in the middle of nowhere meeting a guy he doesn't know. He's got a can of mace just to protect himself. Cause he's being smart. Um, who knows what his life's been like? I mean, you know, it, it, it just speaks to the fact that, that how many, how the ripple effect of people were obviously severely affected by somebody who was not getting mental health care that they needed. And, and obviously things had to develop to a point where people had to sort of really realize something was wrong, but it sounds like people realized something was wrong years, 10 years or more before. You know, when his wife left him at that point, he should have been evaluated. He could have avoided all of this. And this guy and whatever his, you know, the ripple effects through his family and all of that have happened and his life obviously being. And and this uh, Guillermo, from uh, all accounts that I read, was, you know, um, a real stand up guy. Yeah. He wasn't perfect. He he had gotten in fights, mostly standing up for his family. But um sounded like, you know, he was there for his family all the time. He was there for his um um for his community. So people really liked him. And um so yeah, it's it's a tragic thing that happened uh, to that community and to his family and also, you know, his wife um Karen and their kids. Yeah. Um I mean 
you you look back and there was there was another incident. So he as a as a youth, um, he stole a car from his parents mm. and ended up in a um, one of those outdoor um, kind of um, outdoor oh. schools for you know troubled youth. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and but it but it really turned. I mean, it kind of. I'm not going to say it turned his life around, but it was really kind of the spark that that made him think. I am going to make my living in the outdoors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he ended up working for that company. They were so impressed with him. I mean, he he like he went through it. He did super well in this this outdoor class. I mean, he just nailed it. He he aced it. But um at the end, he just took off. Nobody could find him. Right. And then they found him and he was just out fishing and having fun and mm. um they were so impressed with his abilities and his uh you know like um kind of his his awareness uh, in the outdoors that they ended up hiring him and the, um, that's kind of how he got into you know wanting to be a guide wanting to do these kinds of things in the outdoors um, it, it's kind of like um I mean it's not uncommon that people who who go through a lot of this sort of thing um, are, are quite intelligent and it sounds like he was um, it also sounds like like a, the same thing a lot of people they they maintain but Right cracks. They can't. They can't keep the the glue together. I, I had you know when I hear about the stealing the parents' car and and mm. that kind of thing, I think back to some of my friends. Oh yeah, you know, in high school. Yeah, um, I knew ones who stole their parents' cars mm-hmm. and wrecked them and made excuses, and their parents bought it. And as far as I know, none of them you know have ended up in in this kind of yeah you know uh, mental space that Dean Cummings found himself in. But um, and so I guess it's easy to to look at any one of these signs and 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 say, well, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly he's blah blah blah. He's getting in a lot of right. fights and he's crashed a car. But lots of kids do that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. His mom said he never owned a car that he didn't total. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, again, I knew those kids in high school so too. So did I. Yeah. And usually their parents just kept buying them new cars and they just kept totaling them. Yeah. Um, I never totaled a car because if I did, I would never have a car again. That's right. <laughs> Plus, I don't know how people get away with it. I mean, even the smallest car accident like hurts, really hurts. Oh, I yeah. Mean, he, I mean, obviously, I think sometimes people who are into the really, really most extreme things, whether it's extreme skiing yeah. or it's, you know downhill mountain biking or it's um uh you know skydiving or base jumping or whatever it is sometimes i'm not saying they're mentally ill but no. there's something i think in in their psyche in their brain that kind of requires this uh it's almost like um it's like a drug mm-hmm. you know uh, mm-hmm. i know we've we said that people are can be adrenaline junkies yeah. right um, and I think being an adrenaline junkie, people would, we just used to kind of laugh, ha ha, yeah, they're adrenaline junkies. And it's like, you know, why are they addicted to adrenaline? Like yeah. what's going on there? Well, and some people, and for some people it's, it's, it's a sort of a controlled, it's a controlled thing. And, and in others, clearly it's something that there's, there's an actual addiction aspect to it. You know, there is a real, some people it's just a heightened sense of like thrill and all of that. And clearly there's others who are it's it's more of a a chemical thing in their brains that are just is just desperate for it right yeah yeah, i think that sometimes it can be filling some some need Mm -hmm. that you know that the brain has yeah has to be yeah otherwise you know i mean you why would you do it it doesn't make sense to be doing something that dangerous put yourself in that kind of danger all the time we should uh i wanted to um uh talk about putting yourself in a lot of danger by the way, since uh, danger is the the name of the game, the name here. of the game here, right? So we talk often uh, about religion, and we have our thoughts about religion. We're not we're not big fans of it overall. I mean, you know, we 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 respect people's opinions and all that stuff, but like anything, it can go a little too far. And I've got a really great story here about it going a little too far. Hmm. Now we're not going to we're going to jump from Alaska all the way across in the ninety eighties and nineties all the way across the world to Germany in 1534. There's a thing called the Munster, the Munster Rebellion. Munster is known uh, as a city in Germany. It also is a cheese, as a matter of fact. I think you've probably... Yes. It's a delicious cheese, as I recall. So in February, um, this is great because it kind of ticks all the boxes of help is not in the way again in, in a sort of a couple different 
So you can look at it from a couple different, you know, you know, perspectives. In February thir- uh, 1534, so they, these radical Anabaptists, and I'll explain what that is in a moment, they tried to take over the government in the, in the German city of Münster, and, and they wanted to establish a communal sectarian government. So, um, and, the, and, and the city was actually under Anabaptist rule uh, until for, about, for a little over a year, till June uh, 1535. Uh, when the government fell, so an Anabaptist. Let's kind of give you a little bit of background here. It's a it's a Christian Protestant movement that, um, in modern day now, is about four million people worldwide that are members, and it includes a group. Uh, you you've heard of the Mennonites and the Amish. Yep. Um, they're sort of like descendants of this group of people. Um. Which is sort of funny because when you when you think of those people, you think of these peace loving sort of you know anti radical, you know they 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 have their views are extreme, but they're not extremists in a sense. Do you know what usually I mean? right? Yeah. I mean, didn't we just talk about? There were some recent yeah. things where some Amish people were cutting beards and things right. like that, but but overall they tend to be pretty peaceful and kind of keep themselves and yeah. live a certain way. Sure seems that way. Yeah, it seems to be from the outside. So um, the early Anabaptists formulated their beliefs around the idea, um, this is interesting, because that to be truly baptized, you know, to sort of like have your head dunked in the water and sort of give yourself over to Christ or whatever, uh, you have to be conscious of, a person has to be conscious of their decision and to be baptized, uh, to be baptized and accept Christ. So typically in, I think, Christianity, and don't, don't quote me on everything of this because, of course, I'm not that well-versed in um, the religions of the world— um, you're baptized at birth and they sort of like dunk the kid's head or they, the priest puts some water on and says, a, says some stuff. And, um, but, but to the Anabaptists, that's not acceptable because it's, it, it doesn't compl- like, it doesn't imply consent. Right. It, so what they said, which doesn't seem that radical to me, and yet it was, it was incredibly radical. They said a, a second adult baptism would be necessary for those uh, baptized at birth. Or if you want to become, you know, if you if you if you're not already, you need to as an adult be baptized at birth. But if you've been baptized at birth at this point, um, you were you you were actually not legally allowed to be baptized as an adult. You're not allowed to be. The Anabaptists said you have to be. You've got to make a choice. And um, and baptizing as an adult was actually punishable by death at the time. Yeah. And if the person who got baptized or the person who did the baptism or everybody involved. I, 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 I would say for sure the person who's doing the baptizing doesn't, I'm not clear on that. And maybe both. Yeah, maybe. I mean, wow. What a, what a terrible thing to do. Baptize someone. Yeah. You, you poured water on my head. <laughs> that person's head. It's spoken Latin. You're done. Yeah. You've made your choice, buddy. Man, those people back then, they were so crazy. They're so crazy. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Don't, don't, just don't look at any message boards today. Right. Um, so they also believed that the church, the church is essentially um, its body of followers and that each believer is themselves a priest for the church. So they all, so they believed, um, uh, they, they believe that each person has a value and each person's gifts are necessary and contribute equally to the whole of the community. So it's, it's kind of a socialism element to this do you know what i mean it's sort of like yeah you're a butcher and this person you know is a you know whatever a candle maker and you're equally important or this person creates wealth by is a is a runs a factory i'm not saying they're running factories back then i'm just sort of as an example you know this person's a merchant that you know like exports wool and makes lots and lots of money this person is, you know, a, a, a small farmer. They're equal value. a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. There's, they just, as long as you're contributing back to the community, you, whether you dig a deeper hole or not, is just purely based on your ability and right. whatever your gifts are. So it's very animal farm. It's very Orwellian in that, in that sort of socialist sense. Right. Um, which is, which is kind of how, as far as I understand, the Amish and Mennonites do live still to this day. Everybody brings something to the table and contributes. Yeah. Put something on the table. Yeah. As long as you put something on the table and you did your best to get it there, you've contributed and 
whether it be the centerpiece of the meal or you know a, a, the butter that's churned right. it's the same value so as long as you did your best so um they were typically pacifists um who believed in the separation of church and state and that um coercive measures as uh social measures were wrong and who and they also refused to swear oaths to civil authorities, which was a threat, of course, to the civil authorities. You know, yes. I mean, there was, all these things are threats. I mean, yeah, what you were just reading there um, sounds like I could imagine a lot of people not being happy about. Yes. They believed in communal property. Um, and um, this one always gets me because people still to this day don't look back and see that, that many people have followed this before. At the time, and probably still to this day, different people believed, they believed that uh, they were living at the end of time and that the return of Jesus Christ was imminent. So yeah, that is a pretty common thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, when are we going to realize? It's probably know? not tomorrow. And if it is, you know, he's just going to decide on the day. Right. Like, you can't game this. Like, you can't get ahead of this. Be cool. He's coming. It might be 1535, it might be 2026, but stop trying to figure it out. (laughs) Just be good. Just be good. Right. Because for the last, at least, you know, whatever, 500 plus years, he's still not come. Right. And they thought he was. And you'll hear how how, how much they thought he was, at least one of them. So it's roots, the roots of Anabaptism uh, come from a document, and I'm going to butcher a few names and pronunciations on this. It comes from a document called the the Schleitheim Confession, which was drawn up in a meeting in 1527, which was presided over by a guy named Michael Sattler. And Sattler was a preacher who spread the word through his sermons, um, keeping in mind that, again, it's illegal for him to try to coerce people into believing in anabaptism because it's illegal to be baptized as an adult. Um, so... And the authorities don't like this anyway because it's communal property and it's not civil disobedience and not, not civil disobedience so much as not swearing the oath to civil authority. So um, there's actually a painting of this Sattler guy um, preaching in the woods. And so these were like, weren't like some big, these are like little, this is like seven people in a, in a clearing kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, if, you know, that, that, that's the kind of like sermons we're talking about here. Okay. So soon after the confession was drawn up, Sattler's arrested, charged with defying the emperor, rejecting infinite, infant baptism, practicing love feast and other offenses. Love feast. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that means, I but uh, I, I, get some, I get some pictures. Um, <laughs> pictures in my mind. Probably not exactly. Might, might be incorrect. Yeah. Might be incorrect. Um, he's convicted. He's sentenced to execution. Uh, and the sentence reads... Michael's, this is great. I mean, not great for Michael, but this is amazing that this is where people were at this time in in history. Michael Sattler, this is a quote from the reading of his execution order. Michael Sattler shall be committed to the executioner. The latter shall take him to the square and there first cut out his tongue and then forge him fast to a wagon and there with glowing iron tongs twice tear pieces from his body. Then on the way to the site of the execution, five times more as above and then burn his body to powder as an arch heretic. <laughs> That's pretty specific. <laughs> That's pretty so they're specific. Gonna... Use hot tongs to take pieces from his body. What was that? Did that add, add up to seven times I think or it was seven times? <laughs> it, After cutting out his tongue. They spent, someone spent a lot of time on this document. Like, was what's like, the punishment? Hmm, let's see. What do we do with this guy? I'm definitely, we're cutting out his tongue. Yeah, we should totally cut out his tongue. And yeah, then, yeah. Um, oh, as goes out saying. I haven't used the hot tongs in a while. Now, wait a second. I'm just riffing here. Right. I'm riffing. Right. But... Maybe we need to, we we should do we should forge him to a wagon. I'm That's just right. throwing it out there. You guys can dis you can decide not to. I don't want to overdo it. But what do you think? What, or, or maybe maybe somebody is just this is this is who they are and whatever punishment they say. That's just how it goes. You know, maybe there's right? like some sadistic guy that's like, oh yeah. 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 We're definitely going to tear some limbs yeah. off of this dude. Let's go see what you know the old miser right. has to say about. What we do to hey, we need another one. Right. We got another heretic. Use hot tongs to rip pieces of his body Ooh, off. Good one. Good yeah. one. Is someone taking notes? Right. Is someone taking notes? 
<laughs> how long should the tongs be? Yeah, these long tongs? Right. How do we heat the tongs while we're riding in a wagon? Ah, <laughs> uh, it's not my problem. That's right. You'll figure it out. So, so the other men in the group are executed by sword, and the women, including his wife, whose name was uh, Margaretha, were executed by drowning. Oh, geez. Yeah. It was not cool. This was not a pretty... This is not a pretty time in history. No. Um, so there's another guy. Um, let's so so we're gonna move on a little bit to uh, Munster. And now um, Munster has is this just this town. It's 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 sort of like a Lutheran, which I don't really know. Heck, it's Martin Luther and a few other things, you know. It's a Lutheran town. Um, people, you know, it's pretty. I think most of Germany at the time was Lutheran or Protestant, or I don't even know something like that. Anyway, um, uh, and the town itself is, you know, it's just sort of a town. It's, but it's been for some reason I don't know exactly why. Um, these these sort of Anabaptists sort of target it. They somehow decide that this is the place. And I, I actually think it comes down to this one guy whose name, what, who's a couple of Dutch came in and are a big part of this. This one guy, um, he called, let's see, his, he was, was this John? No, this is, um, this is a guy named Bernard Rothman. He's a radical Lutheran pastor, um, and he's making he's making and passing out pamphlets denouncing Catholicism. And these pamphlets begin to proclaim that the Bible called for absolute equality of man in all matters, including wealth. So, you know, we've already heard that that's something that, you know, co- you know, common property and all that stuff is something that's important to Anabaptists, but that's, that's a threat. I mean, yeah. to anybody who's, who's, you know, uncommonly wealthy, let's just say. Yes. Yeah. Um, and to the powers that be, they don't want this. They, they, and that's a big part, I think, of the reason why, Anabaptism was so incredibly reviled and punished because not just because of maybe because of the, you know, the baptism thing, but also because of what they were teaching as far as, you know, commonality. We're going to level the playing field and all the rich people are going to have to give up their riches, etc. Yeah. And that's not that usually doesn't go over. Well. That's never popular. No, with usually the, with not. the wealthy. It's popular in like it's popular like on the street corner, right? But it doesn't get very popular once you start getting indoors and once you get from... in the gated community, it's very unpopular. Right, right, yeah, yeah, that's right. You're not going to see a lot of, a lot of like you know, level the playing field bumper stickers on, uh, on <laughs> you know, Mercedes, the back of Mercedes, right, or S the Porsche Cayenne, and the <laughs> yeah. So, the poor peasants, uh, of course, begin to flock to the idea of not only going to heaven but also a more equitable distribution of wealth while still here on earth. And why? wouldn't they i mean you pretty much so one of the things that this that this you're gonna i'm gonna get to a big part of that big part of this statement in a moment but like one of the things that this whole munster rebellion kind of highlights and you'll see some really they're funny now let's just be honest but of course it wasn't funny at the time it's horrifying and it's, right. it's really horrifying when you think about it but still it's it does bring up that self-fulfilling prophecy we've talked about before you know we're pro we're pro you know we're prophesizing here how do I get more people? Let's offer them other people's money. How do I make sure that I'm crushed and this is, and I'm, you know, and something horrible happens to me? Let's offer, let's get more people by offering other people more people's right. other people's money. You know, it's almost like you 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 kind of are starting to ask for this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get. Um, uh, endless praise from one side and you're going to have a uh, you know price on your head from the other well and and it and remember we've talked about waco we've talked about you know all sorts of these sorts of you know these you know these these situations that people get themselves into where it's like you know if waco if if david koresh had just had this compound of a small religious sect and he wasn't possibly abusing children and he wasn't stockpiling weapons weapons, right that but 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 see he has told all these people that the reckoning is coming and and if you keep telling people the reckoning's coming eventually they're going to tap their watch and go uh uh, uh, when is it man like you keep moving the goalposts which is what QAnon's doing right now and but for the time being people are still following it sure but that can't last forever people are eventually going to go like get tired of the goalposts moving and so you have to stir the goalposts you have to stick to a date at a certain point. Yes. And we're going to see some of this coming up, at least with one of these guys. Um, so, so, um, the town, which, um, which 
had been called New Jerusalem. I, th- I don't think it was Rothman who actually who actually um, coined the term. I think it was someone else, but I'm not going to get, I, mean, I don't know if I wrote that down. But anyway, um, uh, the town becomes overrun with Anabaptists and adult baptism. So because Rothman has, you know, he's in, he's in the town or he's around the town and he's giving out these pamphlets and he's saying, you know, Munster's the place to be and we're going to create a new Jerusalem. This is the new Jerusalem. You got to go there. And you're going to have the distribution of wealth and you're poor. Well, of course, flocks of peasants start to show up and they're now followers and believers because they're like, you know, hey, if if it ain't the God thing, it's the money thing. One of the two is going to keep you from both, right? So, um, So it becomes overrun. And this is just like, it's almost like, it's almost, it's almost so textbook at times. It's, it it is laughable at times because of course what starts to happen is, let's see, uh, a bunch of men running a religion. The the town becomes overrun with Anabaptists and adult baptisms become compulsory. Iconoclasm, (laughs) iconoclasm sets in and religious iconography is destroyed. And a proclamation is declared that all property was to be held in common. Um, and let's see here. Um, also polygamy is, is sort of, is enacted as a rule of law. (laughs) It's, it it is, it is almost a little too predictable, isn't it? It's kind of like you, you know, note to self, if you start a religion, don't, Take it too far. Don't go that extra. Because yeah. you can start seeing it again. Back to David Koresh and back to some of right. these guys. You know, Jonestown and all these others. It, it's like, how often does it come down to this, this like, one crazy guy's desperate desire to have sex? Right. With, like, whomever he can. Yes. And to, to, like, ingrandize himself and take with him the spoils of it all. You yeah. Know? Money, I mean, cars. Making the adult baptisms mandatory. And go, going from... Saying that you should make the choice, right? To you have no choice. You have no choice. You might, right? Yeah, you I gotta mean, they, do. They they became the thing that they despised. Exactly. Which I will say does not technically speaking, and this comes up a little bit later. Technically, and because I, I want to give a little defense to to the to the our Amish listeners and our Mennonite listeners out there, <laughs> um, it's not. This is not the way. You know, this was definitely an aberration. This is not what what this even the belief system was enti- was intended to right. bring about. It's like anything. It's taken on a fringe radical group and they've found their way in and it's a couple of crazy people who, you know, good marketing and and, good and marketing, now they run, yeah. they run the town. So the exiled, um, so now they have the town and um, they just basically kind of took it by just showing up. Yeah. Too many of them. And um, the exiled Lutheran bishop of the town, whose name is Fran- Franz von... Von Waldeck, 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 and his followers besiege the walled city. So they surround the city, and they're like, "Good luck to you. You're not. No supplies are coming in or out. Nobody can leave. Nobody can come in. So they just like they surround the city. Um, big problem with the whole sort of walled city. You know, for you know of of walled cities of of um, medieval Europe. Of course, is that if you just surround them, it won't be long before there's no water and no food. Right. You know. So they cut off access, and on this is the this is that self-fulfilling prophecy part on on easter sunday uh 1534 the guy named jan mathis who was a former baker from harlem in the netherlands who was a prominent anabaptist leader and whose disciples had quote re-baptized over a thousand adults during the taking of minster left the city with 12 followers he believed that he uh, he had prophesied that god's judgment to come would come um uh, to the wicked on that very same day and believe that he was the second coming of Gideon. Gideon, I had to look this up. I mean, I've heard of Gideon's Bible, yeah, yeah. but I don't really know what that means. So Gideon was a biblical figure said to have been a military leader and a prophet who was chosen by God to free Israel and he set uh, um, and, and set forth to destroy God's enemies. So Jan Mathis walks out of the building with 12 people thinking... Completely believing that he is going to be able to vanquish the foes outside the walls of the city that have been that have besieged the city and are keeping them from getting their supplies and things like that. So Mathis, let me. What do you think? What do you think maybe happens here, Kevin? 
Uh, I I don't think anything good happens. Yeah, the, he's, he's, no, he's going to go well. I don't think well. this is going to go well. For a no. yawn. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I think I, you might be right. How, how, how do you become so delusional that... Can you imagine? I don't, I don't understand. I'm like, going to walk out here with 12 of us and we're yeah. going to do... Because God's on my side. Right. So, I mean, even if you believe in God, you got to believe... You can't believe that's possible. Yeah. So... Anyway, uh, Mathis is quickly cut off from his group. He's killed, he's beheaded, and his severed head is placed on a pole for all the city to see. <laughs> Later that evening, his genitals are nailed to the gate of the gates of the city. <laughs> so uh, again, like, what did you expect? Kind of predictable. I mean, like knowing what they did to those other seven or whatever it was, uh, that other group. You know the drowning yeah. and the yeah. Uh, Tearing it's not like pieces they didn't off the body. And, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They saw that. They read the, the right. They read it just like we did. You're like, what uh, are they doing? It's going to be different this time. Yeah. What's old the old miser going to come up with old, for for old Jan here? Right. <laughs> Nails testicles mm, to the gate. <laughs> Nail his testicles to the gate. Genius. Genius. He did it again. Pole. He the old miser did it again. Yeah. First he started just with the old head on the pole thing. You know yeah. the head head on a pike. It's just yeah. kind of like. It's, it's no, so redundant. Not a lot of wow yeah. factor in that. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. wow. There's he saw his everyone walking around going like, wow, maybe he's lost it. I don't know. He used to think of stuff like tearing off your flesh. Right. Am, am I supposed to be scared because you put his head on a pike? Yeah. Ooh, oh, big wait. deal. Testicles on the gate. Never mind. Okay. They, they were. Yeah. Then yeah. he rethought it. He's like, I don't know, man. That might not have been They're enough. They're serious. Double down. Right. <laughs> um, so... Another prominent me- and and then and then oh my god Kevin, how could it be more predictable? Another prominent member of the Anabaptists, the twenty-five-year-old John of Leiden, Leiden, took both religious and political power over um, over the city. Took, he took over the city religiously and politically after Mathis's death, claiming he had received visions from heaven to justify his power grab. John of Leiden soon proclaimed himself the king of New Jerusalem and with polygamy made compulsory took 16 wives. Meanwhile, the siege, which was now a year long, had left most of the inhabitants of the city near starvation. Again, are you kidding me? Like, it's so transparent. If you wrote this into a script, you'd it would be thrown out the window. Right, they would they would be like this is this is dumb. This, this is, is so right. This is like one would never happen in reality because people are not this dumb. It, it it's so obvious everyone's gonna everyone's gonna know the end of the story halfway through the movie. Right. They're gonna walk out because this is the way this goes. Yeah, right. And, and you know this this whole well, hey, now that that other guy's gone, I have to say I had some visions and I'm the one. It's me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what What that reminds me of, though, is What's modern day politics. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's absolutely, you watch. True. And, and I'm sure this has been throughout history. You watch what worked for somebody else, and you're like, ooh, all I have to do is replicate exactly yeah. what he did, mm-hmm. have the same kind of, you know, personality, and mm-hmm. um, there's a pretty good yeah. chance that it'll work, and I'll end up with 16 wives and be in power. And... Yeah, and just don't go out the side of the city walls thinking you're Gideon. Right. And you'll be good. Exactly. Yeah, it worked for him. I'm just going gonna, gonna to try to solidify my power a little bit more. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug a few holes that I saw. It's a vacuum, power vacuum, and I'm going to, and it's it's as common as, as sliced bread. Yeah. And it's ridiculous that it is we ridiculous. keep falling for it as a, as a society. <laughs> And, and did they fall for it? You know, I mean... Or... No, that's true. They didn't make much choice. Right. Um, the city uh, in June 1535 was taken uh, was retaken by Franz von Waldeck, and John of Leiden and other Anabaptist leaders were taken prisoner. In January 1536, John of Leiden and two other leaders of the coup, and this is what brought me to this story from the beginning, because I was scrolling around. I This is a funny story. I was at a friend's house and I was, and she had a bird feeder that she just hung outside of her house. And the bird feeder is like a little small rectangular cage with metal bars and inside of it on a hook above it and on a line. And inside of it is a brick with like, you know, oh, yeah, like feet. suet or something like that. Yeah. So they can it? land on it and yeah. grab the bar and they can, and I immediately thought of what the, of what, 
John of how John of Leiden spent his 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 the next well he didn't quite spend his time there he was tortured and killed before this but here's what happens in 1536 John of Leiden and two other leaders of the coup were tortured in the town marketplace and executed they don't go into the torture on this one maybe yeah we'll, maybe I, I'm kind of interested like such, you know what what was it this time such a description in the others yeah, yeah I'll have to look that up um so their bodies are exhibited and this is where that comes in their bodies were exhibited the three of them their bodies were exhibited in cages hung from the steeple of saint lambert's church as a warning to others so and their bones were eventually removed but the cages still hang outside the church to this day they uh, they tortured them and hung their dead bodies from the church like you know all good christians would like all do christians. Yeah. so and it's really Look it up. There's a picture of it. I'll show you the picture later. And and anyone uh, who sees this, we should post it. But um, uh, it, it should look at it because honestly, it's disturbing. Just the empty cages. Yeah. Because you know that these three people were hung as a warning, like yeah. to the rest of people, For never sure. to do something like this again. But the church decided to keep them up even after they had dissolved to bone, and they're still there. It's kind of creepy. They, you know what I'm thinking was missing from society back then were some. What WWJD uh, bracelets? Do you remember those? What would, what would, <laughs> what Jesus, would Jesus do? do? <laughs> they just weren't thinking. What would Jesus do? If yeah. somebody had said, "Hey, there," you know, he's got like he's got a flaming hot tongs. He's about to rip something off this guy's would body, Jesus and they're this? like, "What would Jesus do?" And would he's Jesus like, do this? "Damn it!" He didn't even have right. shoes. Put the tongs back. You okay. don't walk around with burning hot tongs with no shoes on. That's right. Come on, you're you not drop it on your foot. Guy. Yeah, jeez. Think, people. You could burn yourself. You could totally burn your. You're gonna burn your foot. Do you have gloves? How are you gonna work tomorrow? Right. You're a butcher. How are you gonna you're gonna get in, That's gonna get infected. Jesus was smarter than that. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't like infections. He knew better. So the aftermath of the Munster Rebellion, which historians, um, which I kind of mentioned before, you know, they basically believe that that that, that, that it was an aberration of the Anabaptist Baptist movement itself. So the Anabaptist movement, um, they, it's the Anabaptist movement. It splintered from there. It really just this actually really kind of crushed it. Um, the lines of division were mainly bleh, along lines of whether they should remain peaceful or use force um, uh, against nonbelievers and the issue of polygamy. Mm. Again, yeah, really, <laughs> polygamy and should we use force or not? Should we force people? To believe our religion or not. Yeah. And I they... want seven wives. I want one wife. I want nine wives. I'd like one wife. Let's 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 call the whole thing that, off. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, they they could just get rid of the guy who only wanted one wife. That's true. Because if he didn't believe, he's not he's not taking part, man. That's true. Get rid of him. That's true. Yeah. Um so yeah, so you know, as I mentioned, the Mennonites and the Amish and the Baptists Religions are, are, are sort of descendants of the Anabaptists. Um, and clearly, you know, I, I know we're, we're not religious people, but I think that those folks generally, for the most part, you know, don't cause too much harm. Maybe, maybe certainly not the Amish. I don't think the Mennonites. Can't really speak for the Baptists. Not really sure what they do these days, but I don't know yeah. if I trust them. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they sometimes they get into pretty, pretty vicious rake fights. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're not called shakers for nothing. They shake, no. come over and shake you to death. I, I think that was from they the shake Onion. Your chairs. Something about Amish rake fighting or something. Um, what was that from? From the Onion. Oh, was it yeah. Amish rake fighting? Yeah. <laughs> something like that. They make a good chair. Yeah. No, for sure. They do. And they, um, and they make a good coach. A good good like. It it is chair. interesting. I mean, honestly, you know, you could you could pretty much pick any religion at some point in time and just find the horrific things that they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, maybe there's stories in the Bible. There's some pretty bad ones in there. It's sad because it's, it's all in the name of something. And that's the, the key to humanity and the sad reality is that it's, it's, it's got, it's all going to happen anyway. It's just in what name, in, in the name of what? Right. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like, because you get these, you get these crazy people, you get these power grab people, you get these like soulless sociopaths who gain power and are charming. They don't really care. No. The crazy ones, like the guy Mathis walking out of the city, he clearly obviously was, his head was not on straight anymore. Yeah, he, he must have believed 
what he was saying because he thought this was going to work. Yeah. It's Any the, rational person would be like, you're dead. It's the guy at the you know? top who drives yeah. this and then sits back and watches Rome burn, um, you know, while eating grapes and yes. drinking wine is... That's the guy that's going to do this time and time again, and he he has no dog in the fight. All he cares about is it happening. He doesn't care why, how. Nope. Again, I mean that, and that that continues today. I mean, that's modern politics because I guarantee when we watch these things and they're riling people up at their rallies, and yeah. they don't yeah. they don't believe half no. that nonsense. No. They don't. They couldn't care less. None of that stuff is of of any consequence at all. All that matters is that you get people. Yeah, to do your bidding. It's a means to their end, yeah, and that's sure. and it could you could they could be fighting over pencil erasers or adult baptism. They yeah. don't care. No, they don't care. They don't care. And that's the and and until humanity, which sadly probably never will, um, until humanity realizes that that's the that's the game they're playing, then it'll happen again and again and again and again. And again. Yeah, that's our that's our future. So helps not on the way, people. No, not even close. Not even close. It's. It's interesting. I mean, honestly, they both had mental health aspects. They do. It's true. You're um, right. Well, and 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 it also sort of speaks to, you know, mass mental health. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there were reasons socially why some of the people followed them, but um, but eventually, following something fringe that's really just putting you out there to get yourself, you know, killed, seizing a city and things like that. There's a, there's a mass issue. There's a mass mental, you know, sort of, you know, re recalculation that has to happen there. It's interesting because you saying that reminds me of of the discussion I was having with Shelby before about Dean Cummings and um, his delusions. Yes. I started saying, they're not that far off from the things people have been saying lately. Oh, absolutely. The only reason that people aren't saying, oh, my dad should be committed is because there's millions of people saying this, right. which then kind of goes towards your story, which right. is tons of people buying into the same delusion, yeah. the same crazy belief about something that, you know, if you were to look at it from the outside, you're like, yeah, okay, that's totally nuts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, once you reach, at what point do, when something is adopted by by enough people, um, is it no longer fringe and crazy and now it's totally acceptable? Yes, and and that that's kind of that whole thing about what's the difference between a cult and a religion, right? It's, right. I mean... Well, it's I mean, the, and, the number of people that are in it and the acceptance by society, right. really. If you if you say all oh, the things these people believe are okay, it's a religion. If you say the things these people don't believe, it's a cult. All right, Kevin. Well, by the way, this is uh, Mark Dustin and Kevin Ballman. Yeah, yeah. we we kind of man, we are rusty. We kind of blew the whole thing. Did did we even tell people what show this was? I said help isn't on the way okay. really early on. Okay, because I and that was, then I forgot everything. When people else. were like, "Who the hell are these two? I think I said it to remind myself what we were doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be back sooner rather than later with our heads on straight. Yeah.